All right, let's get into the Bible today, and let's go to, again, uh, Philippians chapter 1. I want to ask you to stand with me one more time. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse 27 uh, in the first chapter of Philippians on this message series, Joy is a Choice. And I want to remind you that Paul is writing these words from prison. He's in prison in Rome. He's in prison because he's preached the gospel of Jesus. And every time he preaches the gospel of Jesus, he gets met with opposition and people don't like it. And they beat him and they stone him and they whip him and they chase him out of town. And in this case, they just locked him up. They were sick of dealing with him. So these words that I'm about to read to you are written from a man who is in prison for doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Okay, just keep that in mind. Let's read from verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment here is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that will, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's just finish the chapter. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And may God add his blessing to this word in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Man, God bless you. Have a seat. So today's message title, and you have your notes out, you probably already see the title, Finding Joy in the Alchemy of God. That's what I want you to do when you leave this place this morning. I want you to find joy in the alchemy of God. But of course, some of you are saying, well, what the heck is alchemy? <laughs> how many here know, I asked this last night, both services, how many here, you don't have to shout it out, but just raise your hand. Do you know what alchemy is? Does anybody know what it is? Oh, we got a bunch of smart people in this place. All right, this is the smartest service so far, just letting you know from the weekend. 
The, uh, alchemy was a medieval science. It was actually a disproven, debunked science uh, very quickly because what alchemy was in the Middle Ages or medieval times was they, they were looking for an idea. They started playing with chemicals and, and playing with uh, composition and chemical makeup of, of, of materials. And alchemy was the philosophy or the scientist, scientific search to find a way to turn base materials and, and transform them into gold. They wanted to take lead, iron, stone, rock, whatever. They wanted to find a chemical reaction in which they could take those useless materials and turn them into something priceless, something valuable like gold. And, and so they went at it and they tried it and it actually was debunked very quickly and, and you can't do it, you can't turn iron into gold. Uh, we still have to pay a lot of money for gold, and gold jewelry is still very expensive. But I, I, I think that you have to understand that though people cannot take useless material and turn them into gold, we serve a God who's a master of alchemy. He turns useless stuff from your life, base materials from your life, the iron, the lead, the rocks, the stone the refuse of your life. And he has a way through the power of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit to turn what you don't think is all that valuable into gold to, to the glory of Jesus Christ. Webster's Dictionary defines alchemy like this. The process of transforming something common into something special. I love that definition. This is the thrust of the Bible, by the way. This is the, the story of the Bible over and over and over again. God taking useless material from people's lives, transforming it into a purpose for his glory. I think of one of the greatest stories of the Bible about a man named Joseph. Joseph was the second youngest of his brothers. And he was hated by his brothers, but he was most beloved by his father. And his brothers hated him for the fact that his, his father loved him so much. And so they tricked him and they sold him into slavery. First, they cast him into a pit and we're going to kill him. They say, well, then they said, we're not going to make any money on that. So let's sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. He's in slavery. And then he gets falsely accused of raping his master's wife. And he didn't do it and he goes to prison. And innocently, he goes to prison. And in prison, he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker. And, and in two years, he goes from the prison house to the prince's house in Egypt. And then God uses the spirit that he gave him. And all those bad things that had happened in his life, all that refuse, all that lead and iron, and all those common materials got transformed into gold. And he became the, per the person through which many lives would be saved. God is in the alchemy business. I think of Moses, who was, uh, who was a convicted murderer, killed somebody, got found out, and then ran for his life, spent the majority of his life on the backside of a desert, hiding out from those who wanted to hunt him down. At 80 years old, he sees the burning bush. At 80 years old, come on, somebody, it's not too late in God's timing. And he hears from God, and God sends him back to the nation he was running from and says, tell them to let my people go. And he leads that nation out of 400 years of slavery. And God took all the bad, all the useless, all the common stuff that was in Moses' life and transformed it into a beautiful picture of deliverance. God takes common material and turns it into something special. 
He's in the alchemy business. I could go on and on about David and Samson and Solomon and, and people who faced uh, insurmountable obstacles and God took their story and transformed it into gold. All of them culminating, of course, in the main story of the Bible, the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, sent into the world as a poor carpenter, a helpless baby. And he, and he grows up and he's mighty in power and the Spirit of God empowers Jesus to do mighty miracles. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. He opens mute tongues and opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears and feeds 5,000 and walks on water and preaches like nobody ever heard before. And still they turn on him. And they send him to a bloody cross. And they crucify the Lord of glory. And, and all that stuff looks useless, but God takes that death, that perfect sacrifice, and through that death, he turns it into gold in the resurrection. Because Jesus died, we can live. And because Jesus was judged for our sins, we can be set free from our sins. And because Jesus is alive, we have hope today. God is in the alchemy business. And I want you to find how God has taken your life and turning it into gold. Because I'm sure that you have questions about why your life has gone the way that it's gone. And I'm sure that some of you look at your life and you look at your past experiences and you have questions and you say, God, why did you let that happen to me? What was the deal with that situation? And I thought that you said you'd love me, but after I became a Christian, this happened to me. And we can look at our lives and we can get confused. And we can get really discouraged sometimes. And we can start to think, well, God, you must not be as good as you say you are because I'm not experiencing what I thought I was going to experience when I gave my life to you. And if we don't understand the alchemy of God, we won't have joy. But I want to teach you how. How to look at your life through the lens of God's bigger story and understand that no matter what you experience and no matter what you go through and no matter what life throws at you, that God can bring gold from you. And you'll never understand the alchemy of God until you get what's going on here in Philippians chapter 1 with Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is thoroughly convinced, thoroughly convinced that his imprisonment for the gospel is actually perfect. He's actually happy. <laughs> He's joyful behind bars because he knows that God has taken his common material, even in prison, and using it for his good. There are three things that he kind of outlines in these verses that we read, three things that he's going to look at, that we're going to look at to, to kind of give us a filter through which we look at our lives. And if we can catch these three things, I'm telling you, life will be a heck of a lot less confusing, a lot more exciting, and much more joyful. Three things that Paul is intimately connected with, intimately aware that God is doing in his life. Number one, if you're taking notes, the cause of God, the cause of God. You'll never understand the alchemy of God until you understand the cause of God. Let me put it like this. What is God doing in the world? 
What is he up to? What is the story that God Almighty is really trying to preach from heaven? Look what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance what? To advance the the gospel. God is all about the gospel. Understand that God is not all about your comfort. God is all about your life being part of his cause. To make Jesus Christ known to the farthest reaches of the universe. This is the reason why there's a creation. Psalm 19 says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. Another psalm says that the skies proclaim his handiwork. God is all about proclaiming who he is. And who he is is found in the person and in the work of the divine son, Jesus Christ. And here's what God is up to in this world. God is up to telling as many people as possible about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, on their behalf. The gospel. The gospel is priority number one on God's agenda. So listen, some of you have done this. Some of you have yet to do it. But whenever you say this prayer, God, use me, I want you to know that God immediately says, okay. (laughs) And then how he uses you is in his hands, right? That there's a lot of confusing that because we think, no, 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 no. God, I, I, meant, I meant that you use me to do things that would help me, you know, to be better and smarter and elevated in life. And, 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 then, and then things happen and, and we don't get what we wanted. And we forget that we said, God, use me means that I want to be used by you. And some of us say, God, I said, use me. I didn't say, abuse me. Maybe you misheard me, but God is going to use your life. Not to just give you the American dream and the two kids and the two-car garage and the dog and the cat. He's going to use you to preach Jesus. He's going to use you to preach Jesus. That's what God wants to do through your life. That's what he wants to do. So, so we got to understand, everything that happens to us, God's looking to get the gospel out of that thing. Why? Because only the gospel changes lives. Only the gospel satisfies. Only Jesus takes what is useless and makes it purposeful. Only Jesus takes people out of the kingdom of darkness and transmits them to the kingdom of his marvelous light. Only Jesus sets people free. Only Jesus breaks the bounds of Satan. Only Jesus sets the prisoner free and gives dead men life in his, in his name. That's Jesus. That's, he's the only reason why people can be saved. He's the only name by which people can be saved. And here's Paul in prison saying, I'm actually thankful. I'm actually thankful that I'm in prison. Some of you feel like you're in prison. Some of you feel like your marriage is a prison. Your, your kids are a prison. Your, your parents are a prison. Your job is a prison. And all it takes is for you to understand the alchemy of God, that God is actually up to, up to something bigger than you. His story, not yours, is what's on the agenda of heaven. 
Here's what Paul says in verse 13. He says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is what? Is for Christ. He says, the whole, the whole prison, the imperial guard, they've gotten to know Jesus because I'm here. <laughs> you need to understand that Paul is a preacher. Paul, who traveled three times all around the known world to tell as many people as possible about Jesus, he never met a city that he didn't want to preach to. He didn't need a crowd of 100. He just needed one person, and he would just preach Jesus until, until dawn. Some, one time he even preached so late that somebody got tired, fell out of the window, and died. And then he goes down, and he just says, no worries about that. We believe in the resurrection. Raises the kid from, from the dead, and then goes back up and preaches some more. I mean, how many of you think that would be pretty cool to see happen in church? Yeah, as long as it's not your kid, right? <laughs> he's, he's a preacher. You can't stop this guy from talking about Jesus. Now, now, historians tell us that he would have been chained in this Roman prison because he mentions the imperial guard. That means that he probably was chained to a Roman centurion. And they had like four-hour shifts, and they would change off on prisoners. And I can just imagine those poor Roman soldiers. Like coming in in the morning and seeing the checklist of who's it taking what duty. And I could just see them saying, oh, no. I got Paul duty again. Right? Just going down, oh, right, I know I'm just going to hear about Jesus. And, he, you know, just clink. The, the chains get clunked together there. And Paul's like, hey, how you doing? Have you heard about Jesus? Did you know that that's why I'm here, Jesus? He died, he rose again. I totally believe. Let me tell you about the time that the kid fell out of the window and I resurrected him. Oh, man, Jesus is so cool. Jesus is so awesome. The guy's just like, all right, enough already. The whole guard gets to know about Jesus because this guy will not stop. And I wonder, I wonder, listen, how many of those soldiers got saved, went home to their Roman families and sent the gospel to their families and that 300 years later, the Roman Emperor Constantine would turn the empire into a Christian empire because of the influence of Paul from these days. I wonder. They may have been fed up with this guy, but he wasn't going to stop talking about Jesus no matter what life sent him. You see, sometimes God puts you where you don't want to be so that the people who are there with you can hear about Jesus. They can either watch it in your life and in your actions and in your response to trouble, trials, and tribulation. Or they're heal about the hope and the, and the happiness and the joy that you have because you know Jesus is alive. Right? It's Palm Sunday, right? It's Palm Sunday. This is what this, what this season is all about. Palm Sunday. Come on, everybody. Let me see those palms. <laughs> Amen. Palms for Jesus. Every year I explain why we don't do that. I'm not going to do that this year. I'm sorry. But... We, 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 we are here to proclaim Jesus, the people in your work. Listen, you might be the only Bible they ever read. You might be the only epistle from Paul that they ever read. And how you live and how you act and how you face life speaks volumes to them. By the way, Paul's imprisonment reminds us that not only is the gospel true, the gospel is unstoppable. It can't be stopped. Can't be stopped. He's in prison, still going. <laughs> uh, maybe some of you remember this. When the bamboo curtain went up and communist China was, was established in the 1940s, there were two million Christians. Those two million Christians were officially outlaws. They had to go underground to worship Jesus. 
Well, the bamboo curtain was lifted in the 1970s, and missions organizations from America and around the world decided, we're going to go in, and we're going to undo the damage of communism, because I'm sure there's nobody left who believes in Jesus. Do you know that under the communist regime of China from the 1940s to the 1970s, the underground church that worshiped Jesus went from 2 million to 70 million. The gospel does not stop, no matter who tries to stop it. That's why you don't have to worry about what the president says. You don't have to worry about what Beacon Hill says. You don't have to worry about what the Congress says. You don't have to worry about what the Supreme Court says. If they outlaw it, I guarantee you Jesus Christ is going to find a way to build his church because you can't stop the gospel. I love, I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.20 in the message version. He says, he says, they didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. <laughs> I love the message because it's just like, you know, it talks our language. You've got a pulpit. You have a pulpit. Um, and, and to the extent that you understand that, that your life is really just a big illustration of God's love for people, It'll start to make sense. Some of you are in a marriage that they're not saved, you're saved. There's your pulpit. Now, please don't hammer them. Please don't judge them. Please don't get on them about what they don't do that they should do because they're, they're not Christian. You can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. But you can love them in Jesus' name. Some of you got to realize that, that your past failures can preach the gospel. Some of you, your biggest testimony is, man, I'll tell you, if he can change me, he can change anybody. Some of you need to realize that your gifts and your talents are there to preach the gospel. That's why we're always asking you to serve and get involved and be a, be a part of what's going on here at Waters Church. Some of you experience a horrible tragedy in life, the worst of the worst imaginable, losing a child. Or losing a loved one, or, or, or just, you know, cancer riddled your body. And yes, yes, God is in the alchemy business. And he can take whatever the devil has handed you and use it to proclaim Christ's love through you. you got to look at your life as an opportunity to preach Jesus. Even, even your less than stellar moments can be used to preach Jesus. I had a less than stellar moment as a father a couple of months ago. It's actually kind of embarrassing to 